Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hi everyone, this is Erin here, hosting episode eight. This episode is the third in a four-part series about the impact of early mother loss on the topic of boundaries today. Our previous episodes in this series included an overall introduction and mental health. This episode contains a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description. Hello, everyone. How are we all doing today? Hey. Hey, hey, hey. I wasn't even (laughs) planning on doing that. There she goes, making a song about something again. Uh, So overwhelmed. (laughs) So overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with life. And thinking more about last episode where Christine talks about balance and how much pressure that can be. And I'm realizing, actually, I'm feeling a lot of that lately. Like. Mm. I cannot balance everything and I don't want to feel worse about it. I am with you. Yesterday I felt completely overwhelmed because I was doing a a work meeting and managing children and uh, child care. I don't know. It just felt like there's just days where I'm like, I think I forgot my happy pill and I feel like I'm going to lose my mind. And that's just, but today I was like, it's a new day. Let's do a new day today. I'm really excited about this topic of boundaries. Um, I have said a lot lately that right now my greatest act of self-care is setting and maintaining boundaries. It's new for me, really new for me. So I'm really excited to talk more about it with all of you. Let's get into it. The first thing I wanted to bring up was um, defining what personal boundaries are. So personal boundaries are guidelines, rules, or limits that a person creates to identify reasonable, safe, and permissible ways for other people to behave towards them and how they will respond when someone passes those limits. Mm, I like it. I like to think of them as kind of more like they're guidelines for what's acceptable and not acceptable in a relationship with someone, no matter the terms of the relationship. So it's something that you set yourself. It's really like internal so what are our what are our first reactions to this definition of personal boundaries? Well, like I said, I like it. And it also made me think it's really relative to each person, right? What's a boundary for you is not a boundary for me or but it makes a lot of sense to me the definition. I think I used to think even maybe a year or two ago that boundaries equaled saying no. Like boundaries was not a term that I knew really growing up even until, honestly, probably a few years ago. And now I feel like saying no or just setting expectations or whatever it may be has turned into boundaries and then now is more of a positive thing. And I'm grateful for that because to me, I shouldn't say it's not always negative saying no, but saying no then allows me to do something else for myself. Like that's basically what I feel like you're opening up yourself to. But what really caught me is that I feel like I need you to repeat the ending, but about how somebody else takes Mm. your boundary, I find that to be the most fascinating thing right now in my life. 
I think how people respond to your boundaries says a lot about them. And I think different personalities respond differently as well. Um, And I think it can be like a really tricky situation. I'm getting hung up on the definition because I thought boundaries was like a noun. I don't know, like a thing. And it feels like this definition brings it to life more, which is good. Mm -hmm. But it's so much more, you know, it's it is a thing and it's a reaction and it's how you react to that reaction. It's a relationship in a lot of ways. But you have to create them. They don't exist on their own. They don't exist inherently for people. They're things that you create and you have to be an active participant in them. And I think that that's, that's the crux of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it difficult too. Absolutely. Agree. So I wanted to kind of get into like types of boundaries specifically related to grief and trauma. Um, Cause that's what we're all about here. How I kind of categorize them were mental and emotional boundaries, material boundaries and physical boundaries. And I wanted to kind of suggest some examples of them and maybe talk about those boundaries in relation to our individual grief and trauma. The mental emotional boundaries being, you know, examples are like pushing someone to talk when they don't want to, um, judging someone when they express feelings, shaming the way someone grieves or ignoring mental health, material boundaries being home relocation after loss, moving or altering belongings that belonged to our loved ones who died. Maybe someone taking care of a tangible thing related to the loss, um, but without consent for the person who experienced that loss. And then physical boundaries, hugging after a loss without consent, demanding of the person who experienced loss to show up in places or continue to go to community groups or gatherings of any sort. It could be school-related, church-related, or something like that, having these expectations of this person being in a physical space when they're not ready. I really feel like I need to add something to the emotional Because my experience was that my dad, who I lived with after my mom died, placed all of his emotions on me. So that was my burden to carry. So there was no space for me. Talking about boundaries, and especially in relation to our grief and trauma, it's a a process and we're creating them. So naming all of these individual things is very important. So yes, let's expand on these. Um, I think that's a very important one. Christine, I feel like there are lots of people out there who can relate to that. Yes, I can second that. And I'm wondering, what would we call that? Mm. It, it's crossing an emotional, we're putting it under the emotional mm-hmm. category mm-hmm. Yeah. of boundaries. Yeah, I don't have a name, but it's real and it it has impacted mm-hmm. how I, I have been in every single relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like maybe it could be related to someone taking on the role of a caretaker. Mm-hmm. in terms of like holding space for someone else's grief, caring for their grief. Mm-hmm. People pleasing. Mm. Being a container for someone else's feelings, mm-hmm. which is essentially the role of a parent. I learned from yeah. my therapist. I have said that so many times in regards to my relationship with my dad. It, it was a role reversal, like immediately. I parented him. Yeah. 
also showed up with my grandparents, with my maternal grandparents, because my grandma would call me and just cry about my mom. And she never gave me space or asked me about my grief. She would just cry to me about my mom. And I mean, I get it. It was her daughter, but I wasn't the person to take that on. Wow. Did you not know that? Have I never shared that with you? No. Shadia? I did not know that. Yeah. I can't quite. I didn't have that situation, uh, where, not that I recall. And I feel like, what was your grandma's thought in that? Like, maybe you're like the only one that would understand. So she came to you because you would relate or, man, that is a burden that she mm-hmm. put upon you. Part of that was her own trauma from, she was really uh had a very challenging childhood. And she, I always thought of her as like a little girl in an adult body. Mm-hmm. Even at a young age, I thought of her as a very tender person. Um, you know, I, what I, I'm curious about Erin is like thinking about this in the context of being 15 years old, I had no idea. Right. So now I have the awareness, the intellectual awareness of how inappropriate that was. But at the time, like, there was no awareness. It was just my life, and I just took it on. And I was like, this is who I need to be for everyone. Can I, can we talk about that, like having this place on a, us at a young age or boundaries crossed at a young age? Yes. I think that that's important and very unique to all of our experiences, losing our mothers as teenagers or children. And developmentally, in our brains and how we process emotions and everything, how that was stunted from the trauma. Something that I came across in my, in my research was about how trauma in early childhood can rob a child of the sense of safety and the need to explore their own identity. So if we're looking at that in terms of the trauma and boundary setting, how did this childhood trauma impact our ability to set boundaries after our loss when the safety and self-identity are necessary for appropriate boundary setting. And also, I think it's important to recognize when it's not modeled by the adults in our lives. So very great example of how that was not modeled and then put on to you, Christine. If it's not being modeled by the adults in our lives, how are we supposed to learn how to do that, specifically after being stunted with this trauma that we experienced? Maybe it is being modeled. In my case, I think it was modeled, but not in the healthiest of ways. And it wasn't communicated to me. Mm-hmm. So I was really, you know, I was four and a half. And from that age on, I, I saw my dad had a lot of his own mental health issues, continues to. And people didn't look at it as him setting or creating boundaries, but he did not attend a lot of family things. He did. He was very isolated. So I guess it's up for debate if you would even consider that a boundary, but the idea that people can create boundaries for themselves and it could be interpreted in a lot of different ways by the person on the receiving end. And in this case, it was, you know, me who was a child. I'm still trying to figure out how I interpreted it, but it, it feels like rejection and another loss. So it's, it's complicated because I think People can set boundaries for themselves that they need, and it can still hurt other people. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes to all of that. I was – I am a yes person. Um, That is just part of me. And I – but I also think I'm a yes person because I do not deal 
with rejection and I always want to be accepted. And I've been that way since I've been little, especially after my mom died. I didn't want to let anybody down. And I, I, I guess I think it also is a part of just like trying to normalize myself with saying yes, yes, yes. There is zero boundaries. And sometimes you can get walked on or just also the expectations are that Shetty will do it. She always does it. Shetty will plan this. Shetty, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I've created that for myself. I have not created enough boundaries, certainly, in my life. And now I'm really starting to do that more. And it's so hard because I don't want to make anybody else um, upset at me or think that I'm being selfish or not giving enough to a relationship. Like, it's a really complicated thing. And it's mm-hmm. I find it very challenging. It makes me circle back to, again, when we're young and this happens, our awareness of it doesn't exist. And so really going back to safety, Erin, we say yes, we let the boundaries be crossed unknowingly because we want to continue to feel safe with the people that are caring for us. And that's how we create that feeling of safety by making sure those people that are supposed to be caring for us are stable or steady or whatever. And we end up taking on the responsibility of that, right? Um, By allowing those boundaries to be crossed. At least that's what it feels like to me. I don't know if that resonates for the rest of you. Absolutely, Christine. And I think both like from what you're saying, and also Shadia, I, I I keep coming back to this concept of a caretaker mm-hmm. and being that caretaker of emotions mm-hmm. or someone else's grief mm-hmm. as children. Yeah, and I yeah. want to specify as children, right? Because I think that's important. A hundred percent. Um, I wholeheartedly agree on that, and want to say that. Um, not to plug another podcast, but Glennon Doyle's new podcast, which I just like love. I think everybody should listen to it. She does an episode on boundaries. Something I found so fascinating is she talks about, you know, when she goes to like dinner or goes to a party or whatever. And from a young age, I did this where I would go to any type of social event and I would be taking in everyone else's feelings because I I'm I'm pretty intuitive. And so if I feel Christine is off, I'm like trying to like fix it. And I still do that in my own social circles when I'm with like girls weekend and I can sense that, you know, somebody feels uncomfortable. Like I don't want that. I want everybody to feel heard. And it's ridiculous. It needs to end. I wish I could just stop that. Is that a boundary or is that another subject I just went on? <laughs> no, I no, it is I, boundary. I think that's okay. definitely boundaries. I think that's having that bleed into like our our adult lives now and how that- we interact with other people. I just had a conversation about this exact same thing, Shadi, like reading the room and manipulating conversations to make other people comfortable with my yes. therapist about how I interact with my mm-hmm. family. Like mm-hmm. it's so relevant to our relationships and how we interact with our loved ones now, even years later. I even do it in therapy to my therapist, but thankfully mm. she'll call me out and then it's a safe space to talk about it. Like I try to, <laughs> I try to prevent her from feeling bad yeah. and yeah. she thankfully points that out. I find that yeah. really awesome and funny because I, I do the same and I'm just, that is amazing. 
So for me, it's this idea of this is a pattern that begins when we're children and we're not conscious. And then we continue this pattern in adulthood. And and maybe for some of us, we're not conscious of it until we become conscious of it. And then as adults, we can actually shift it, mm-hmm. right? At least with our awareness, we can acknowledge it and then make some changes around that too. I mean... This is like my biggest struggle right now. But with that said, Christine, like you're saying that's how it was for us. But I do not feel like that needs to be how it is for, you know, thinking about Girls Rise Up, like these girls who have lost their parents. I would like to start shifting that and like having boundaries be a common term in their minds that they're thinking of, you know, now. Like, I, I don't think it has to be that way. Unfortunately, oh, no. it was that way for us, but I would like to see a change in that. What to change? I want boundaries to be a common terminology and thought in youth who have lost their moms when they are youth and not just like they kind of recognize that this is happening, but it's just a part of life and they don't set boundaries, and all of a sudden they turn 40, and they're like, oh, I should set some boundaries, (laughs) like the rest of us, or myself, I should say. And they need to be Uh, taught, too, you know, because it's like you're teaching them. You you talked about this last time, Erin, and how important it is to name an emotion, because if you don't name it, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't exist, but you can't process it cognitively. Mm -hmm. It's the same when boundaries, it's the same when boundaries are crossed, naming when a boundary has been crossed. It can be something so simple. So I'm going to give an example of a material boundary crossing that happened for me and then like a physical boundary crossing, because I think that sometimes those get overlooked, especially their meaning with children and experiencing trauma. So like a material boundary being crossed, my extended family packed up mine and my mom's house in a day while I was at school without my knowledge or my consent. And it was shoved into storage and we went through it later. So that was done without my consent. And no one at the time named it as being traumatizing for me, that not asking for consent, not having me be there. Another one being demanding of the person who's experienced loss to continue to show up in groups or community or family settings, even when they're not feeling up to it or able to do it. That's part of the reason why I have a lot of personal issues with traditional funerals and the way that they're handled and what people's expectations are for the people who have lost to show up in those spaces. Examples of those, and if you have examples of some of those things, please share because I think that naming it is so, so important to the healing process. I have one, and this is, I don't know if this is, Okay, I'm just going to say it. For my mom's funeral, I really wanted to wear this red dress with white polka dots. And I don't remember who, like an aunt or somebody, wouldn't, wouldn't like allow that to happen. I had to wear like this green velvet dress, which now I look back on, I'm like, that dress was epic. And I think that was the right decision. But <laughs> I was just like, why can't I wear what I want to wear to my mom's funeral? Like my mom loved red. She loved bright colors. And I just thought she would really love that dress and I didn't get to wear it. And that really pisses me off, honestly, still, obviously. So I have to tell you, I'm, I'm going to show you guys after this, but in the last year or two, I subconsciously found this dress online, ordered it, and 
It's a red dress with white polka dots. And I remember Chris telling Christine this a couple of years ago. I'm like, I ordered this dress and I realized after I got it, like that's why I ordered it. And I didn't even, didn't think about it. I love that story. Yes, I think that's a total boundary crossing, controlling like what you wear, like it's a material, it's, you know, like how you show up in the space, total boundary crossing. But I love that that was your process to help heal that for yourself. And how old were you again, Shadia? Can you remind me? 13. 13. Because I'm thinking too, like how we even perceive 13 year olds, you know, now that I'm you know, an adult, feels weird to mm-hmm. say that sometimes still, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's so easy to brush off kids and teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, and just be like, oh, you know, like the fact that this has stuck with you for this long, like how much more concrete validation does one need to like know to just listen to what kids are telling you. Yeah. And like, who cares, right? Like this kid just lost their mom. Let them wear whatever they want. I I mean, you guys, there's so many boundaries that were crossed for me. It strikes me um, after, a- after my mom died that I was just exposed to a lot of things that I that were happening that I wasn't aware of, that I think my mom protected me from. And when my mom died, um, my dad was also able to explore his sexuality in a new way. He was gay. He never was out in his whole life, uh, but he lived a dual life. And unfortunately, his sexuality played out uh, sexually deviant behavior is what I would call it. Ultimately, I I found out by hearing him having phone sex with another man uh, when I was 18, 17. Um, I was 17. It was the beginning of my senior year of high school. And then from then on out, he really didn't try very hard to keep it under wraps, right? Though I was still required to keep it a secret. So there was that too. But I, I mean, I came across videotapes that were left in the, the VCR. I um, came across magazines that were left out. I came across like phone book with first names of men and their numbers. That's it. Like hundreds of names, you guys. So there were boundaries crossed fr- from that. And then ultimately what ended up happening is I tried to have conversations with him, w- which he would try to deny what was happening. Um in, in college, he ended up coming to me and crying about men he would meet. And I, you know, I became like a, a parent, a counselor to him of being safe when he was with people. And all, you know, it's just, I look back and it it's so heartbreaking for that, that girl. <laughs> and still for me now, because again, it has impacted how I am with all of my relationships. I, I don't know how to set boundaries. Um, well, I'm learning, but it's really fucking hard um, because that's how people love me, right? That's how I have connection is just being the person that's present and listens and takes care. And that's how my father loved me, right? That's how he stuck stuck around and cared for me was by me being something I shouldn't have for him. Again, that's in my child brain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a lot. Just shared that, but real true. <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that. I don't think many people 
would have the ability to be that open and vulnerable. So, and you know, somebody's listening and relating in some way. Thank you for doing that. I mean, it was a really selfish thing to do. And I, knowing you, Christine, you are just like that ultimate caregiver. And it's like almost exact, not only with like your four children, but with the whole organization of She Climbs Mountains, Girls Rise Up, your girlfriends, like it really must be, I find it exhausting just to even see you doing it day in and day out. I think it's amazing and I can't imagine anybody else doing it, but that has to be a lot on you. I, I can imagine. I don't know. I think you're excellent at it, but. To the detriment of self. Yes. Yeah. And, and actually, interestingly, I witnessed my mom do the same thing, you know. D- different, um, totally different stuff, right? But she had a different story. But I, I feel like she modeled that for me, that you keep showing up to the detriment of self. But that story is changing. I'm not going to do that. And I, I'm not going to, I refuse to model that for my own kids. You know, I already have, but I'm ending that now. Are you communicating that to them? Yes. Yeah, awesome. I am. And I call them out when I see it happening too, you know. In a loving way. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. Well, yeah, Christine, how do you call that out in a loving way? I think that's a that's another skill. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think when I, I see it with my girls in particular with friendships and especially my oldest right now, t- she takes on so much of what her friends are. She is the go-to for a lot of her girlfriends. And yeah, we talk about that and like, and, and encouraging her when it doesn't feel right to say, I can't right now or, and she is, she actually is. But she's she's a sad like shadia, so she's got a little more blunt in her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she can call it out. It gave me chills, Christine, when you said, "This is how I'm newly modeling this for my kids, and how I'm communicating with them and calling them out." I just I I like got chills when you said that because I was like, "It's it's so important. It's so important, even if even if you have not experienced." the loss of your mother or any sort of early loss or trauma. It's so important to have a model of good boundary setting and to, to be that. And I mean, for us to sit here and talk about this and I feel like we're all like breaking these habits and changing the cycle in our own lives and within our own families um, and how we move forward with our relationships. And it's, it's so hard, but it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so hard because people can get so mad at you mm-hmm. for like setting a boundary. And it feels like really unfair. And I feel like if they're getting mad at me for basically it means that they're not respecting me. And I just have zero time for that as I get older in my life. I just, if that's how you feel, then, you know, I only have so much time in a day and I just have zero time for that. So speaking of that, Shadia, I want to share a quote from Brene Brown. Mm, Love her. It says, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves, even when we risk disappointing others. Brene, you're my soul sister. I know. I know. Especially when we risk disappointing others. I wanted to share my memory of like one of my earliest memories of a boundary being crossed and similar 
to Christine. I'm not exactly sure if it's physical or emotional. It might be a combination. It must have been the year my mom died. She died in January when I was four and a half. And then my birthday was in August, so I would have been turning five. I'm guessing, again, I don't know for sure. I'm, it was either my fifth or sixth birthday. My family threw me a huge birthday party at my, uh, my uncle uh, ran a business that uh, they, they did stuff with vending machines. And um, so there was like the toy, you know, those games you like put quarters in and like with the claws that come down. Claw machine or whatever. I'm forgetting what all of those yeah. are. Like claw machine. Yeah. And, and candy like vending machines. It was like a dream come true. There was, you know, the little horses you, the fake horses you ride on. It was like this fantastical, just huge birthday party. And I remember that. I don't remember how I was feeling about that. Like, it's weird. I don't remember feeling really excited or I'm not in touch with, I mean, maybe that's not surprising. I'm really not in touch with how I was feeling. I just remember this, these visuals. What I do remember, though, was at the end of the party um, or some at some point during the party, an airplane flew over and everyone had kind of gathered and um, it felt like something like big was happening. And my dad was next to me and he pointed up to the sky and everyone was you know, looking up and there was this huge banner. An airplane was dragging that said, happy birthday, Sarah, love mom, something along those lines. My, my dad had or someone had, you know, come up with this idea, obviously, to make me happy. I'm not sure what they were, you know, thinking. The intention was obviously really good, but I've had to process that a lot in therapy since then because I just remember everyone looking at me and expecting this huge smile. Or I don't know what they were expecting, but I just remember everyone looking at me and me looking at everyone else and not knowing how to react to that and not feeling like I could be sad. You know, it's my birthday party and there's all these friends and family. It was one of the most vulnerable moments that I can remember from a young age where I just, I wanted my mom to be there so badly. I mean, she wasn't. And I'm so curious how she would have reacted Obviously, that wouldn't have happened if she was there, but just how she would have responded in that moment. And maybe thinking about me as the mother in that situation is could be healing. You know what? I, I just want a hug as I'm thinking about it. I want a hug and I but I also don't no, I don't I don't think I that agree. was appropriate for, no. for a birthday. So this was the year after your mom died? Or something like that? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was very soon after. It was early on in the years That's or year so following your death. Inappropriate. It, no, yeah, it really is. But it gives you a glimpse, honestly, into what so much of my experience was after my mom died, which was mm-hmm. it wasn't people not showing up. People were there. And they were trying really hard. They put a lot of money yeah. into trying. Yeah. And time, you know, and I'm sure they were really stressed mm-hmm. and anxious as well. But it, it um, speaks to like, even if people's intentions are good, it doesn't mean that their behaviors 
aren't hurtful or harmful. And when you're not paying attention to what is actually happening, and when you're making a choice really based on what you think is going to be best, not what the child is going to be able to process or accept, because that's what really what that's about. That's about the adults, that them feeling better about this situation by doing this thing, right? It's really not about you. And again, the intention is not malicious, but it's really misplaced to to do that. And I'm really sorry that that happened. Mm-hmm. I, I would hug you if I could. Like the longest hug. Mm, thank you. It was so confusing, too, you know, looking back. And I think that's another really important thing to remember, you know, in this podcast is like, we're coming from the experience of early mother loss, and we talk about this a lot, just developmentally. Children's brains are just so yeah. different. And I think a lot of our parents and caregivers just didn't have that knowledge, yeah. unfortunately. And so I've kind of made it my life's yeah. mission to learn as much as I can. Yeah, You can be as well-meaning as possible, and your intention can be true, I guess, but if you cross a boundary, then you cross a boundary. The best of us do mm-hmm. that, right? It, there doesn't have to be any malicious intent. There does not have to be any hate in your heart to do that. But when you're not checking in or asking for consent, and I really want to use that word too, because I think that's an important word to use when we're talking about boundaries in any context. But mm-hmm. consent, consent is so important. And checking in. And not knowing, Christine talked about this earlier, it's like when you grow up without with, without adults having good boundaries, you don't learn how to set them. And so I didn't even know that a boundary had been totally. crossed. And I still question it. Totally. Even to this day. And so it's like to have your identity as an adult be so enveloped around this idea of who you are like for me it's who i my identity is how i am supposed to show up for other people getting out of that mindset is really really challenging <laughs> wow that resonates mm-hmm. i think all of us are mm-hmm. nodding our heads yes i just would love to be truly intentionally selfish just for like one day and i don't mean it like oh i'm so selfless i just give and give no I just mean like make all decisions for my truest self for what makes me happy. You know what I mean? And it's it's not obviously possible. It's I have to take care of my family. I have to do I want to deliver on what I've told people I'll do, but it would feel so good just to have that day and not not even not even like what's happening that day, but I am always thinking about letting people down in the future, like, how am I going to handle that situation or whatever it may be? Like, it is constantly in my head, and I wish it weren't. Some of the things of what we're getting into now, like, strike me as moving forward with the conversation of boundaries, like, like, noticing how unhealthy boundaries are characterized, and then also, like, red flags for when our boundaries are crossed. So, so Sarah, you mentioned this, and I think it's been kind of mentioned before, like, when we were kids, we didn't know how to name it or how to recognize it. All we knew at the time was we felt anxious or we felt icky or we felt stressed out or we felt resentment or fear or guilt 
or discomfort. And those are all feelings. Those are red flags of your boundaries being crossed. And so we feel these feelings before we even know like what boundaries are or how they're being crossed. Um, And when they're not modeled properly for us, or, you know, we're not kind of taught or walked through kind of how to navigate those feelings and how to change that, we develop unhealthy boundaries. Unhealthy boundaries are characterized by like a a weak sense of identity, um, loss of control, which are all also linked to trauma and grief experience as a child. And all of these things are interlinked. And then when we carry those unhealthy boundaries through our adulthood, we're still not learning how to set unhealthy boundaries. And I feel like, and personally for me, I feel like, I feel like I was late to the game in setting healthy boundaries, like way late. You know what I mean? You mean like Uh, like, six months ago that I started? Way late. And I'm like, well, (laughs) come on. Like I'm so far behind everyone else in setting boundaries. And I wonder, like, do you guys feel the same way? Like all this shit happened <laughs> and I couldn't recognize the feelings when I was a kid. And now I'm just really fucked up oh. and like, can't set boundaries. And oh. I'm relearning. I have to unlearn and retrain myself on how to do this. And it's hard. Again, I'm 46 and I'm just <laughs> starting to do this work. You know, I want to touch on the red flag thing that you said, um, because it's interesting to me when I, when, when you're talking, I was thinking back to that time specifically with my dad and the situation I shared. Um, and I feel like I did have those feelings initially of anxiety or this is uncomfortable, but I'm going to tell you pretty quickly, I suppressed that and I became the person that showed up. I didn't have those feelings anymore. It was like, this is just who I am and how I show up. So essentially, I ignored who I really was. I ignored any of those types of feelings. I totally suppressed it. I pushed it all down and I just forged forward with this is who I am in the world. This is how I show up for people. And then this is, when I do this, this is how I will receive love Mm -hmm. and care Mm -hmm. And protection. Mm-hmm. You survived by ignoring red flags. All of those feelings, th- those red flags, that essentially boils down to when you feel unsafe and you need to create safety for yourself and this innate need to create safety and developing and normalizing these unhealthy boundaries as safe because that's all you could do to keep yourself safe in that moment. That's a reframe yeah. for me that's allowed me to hold compassion for myself and sometimes for other people in my life who have crossed boundaries, kind of like a doing the best with what you could. You were just trying to keep yourself safe, but it's, it should never have been normalized, should never have been normalized right. at all for you, for any of us, but it did. And it's just because we were all trying to keep ourselves safe. How we started the episode is everyone has their own unique boundaries. So what happens when a parent's boundaries negatively impact their child? I'm trying to think from a parent's perspective right now more, I think. Well, in what a parent thinks the boundary should be for their child is not always what the child needs. So mm-hmm. it's like the lack of communication in that, too, Or maybe they're setting more boundaries than the child actually wants to, you know? 
Setting more boundaries sometimes, I think, could have meant mean not talking about your dead mom, right? Like that was my dad's boundary of just like, he set his boundary of like, I'm not going there. I'm not talking about that, even if you want to. And then it made me feel like, well, I don't want to because you don't want to. And I was really uncomfortable. So it's like, exactly. I feel like I could go round and round in boundaries. It's very complicated for me in my head. I think it can go a little awry. Honestly, when we start to look at it as this very mm. like black and white issue, and that is what it becomes. I think when you are learning it, that's what happened for me. And when I, you know, when you're first learning something, you have to break it down and simplify it. And I noticed myself oscillating between the two extremes because that's it's like yes, this is a boundary. No, this is you know it's it's very black and white. And as we talk about it, you know, it's clear, it's very, once again, complicated and it evolves. I sense duality coming up for me again in the gray areas (laughs) of boundaries. I totally agree. Um, It's not black and white. This idea of, you know, we were just trying to keep ourselves safe. So we adapted to these unhealthy boundaries. I think of my caretakers after my mom died and that they were also just trying to keep themselves safe in a certain context. And I think that there does need to be this distinction between like the adults in a situation and the children. Absolutely. And when adults don't have healthy boundaries or healthy coping skills or know how to do that, how on earth can this child be expected to learn how to do that? But that holding compassion and recognizing those gray areas we were all just trying to create safe spaces for ourselves has been something that's helped me to, to not see it as so black and white and to kind of hold space for all of the, all of the dualities, all of the gray areas that come up. You know, what strikes me too, as we're talking is, you know, I, I actually ultimately set a boundary with my dad when I was 35. It happened to be a year before he died unbeknownst to me, he was diagnosed about a year and a couple months after I set a boundary with him. Um, He was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and died within three months of his diagnosis. I ended up setting that boundary because of my children, because I did, I wanted them to be safe and I didn't feel they were safe around him. And so ultimately I set this boundary for myself, but really because I had kids and I didn't want him around them and I wanted him to do better and I wanted him to get help. You know, I say that year is when I finally grew up. It was like I I was able to set this boundary and detach myself in this way from him that I didn't even know was possible. Um, It changed my life, that boundary. How powerful for you to have that moment and that space in your life where you recognized and were able to change to a healthy boundary and create that safe space for you and your kids. How powerful for you. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. But then I continued to not set boundaries for like 11 years with everything but else. But it's so. a learning process <laughs> so and like- we were all late to the game. So. <laughs> Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm starting now, though. (laughs) And it's really exhausting 
too. It's not easy and it doesn't feel good. And that's why I love Dr. Nicole, the holistic psychologist who we talk about a lot. Like she is so good at validating the discomfort that comes with setting boundaries, especially when it's not something that you're familiar with or you're afraid. You know, again, like you had brought up earlier, Christine, like your sense of connection with your strongest attachment at the time was based around um, not having those boundaries. And so there's like a primal, I think, fear too, even still that comes with the perceived, you know, anticipation of losing that connection if you are to put up a boundary. It's hard to set boundaries. It is so much easier just to not set them or to not have them. I'll be honest, like life would be a lot easier for myself and everyone else if I just didn't, which I think is really a, uh, you know, we're all from the Midwest. I think boundaries are a huge challenge for people who live in the Midwest who are Minnesota nice, which I love that about us, but we also are not direct people and I think that can be really challenging. I mean, people who are listening who, you know, haven't lost their moms, but I feel like this is really relatable. And now I feel like people are finally here just getting more of like a backbone to like stick up for what they need in their life. And I appreciate that. And I also think our generation too, like, you know, our parents' generation didn't talk about trauma, didn't talk about grief or not as much, I should say, you know, right? And so I think things are changing and I'm really hopeful for that. I also want to acknowledge that this is largely something that females take on. I mean, it's- Oh my God, Christine, yes. Christine, I completely agree with boundaries are much more of a burden for females, I feel like generally. And I also want to challenge what you had said, Shadia, about how it would be easier you know, if you were to not set boundaries, I can see that. And I think it's easier in the short term, but a lot harder in the long term. And so it's learning how to kind of build the stamina again, recognizing like, do I have the mental, physical, like spiritual, psychological resources to really like maintain this boundary and set it? And for me, you know, if I don't have a lot of energy, I might just, you know, I'm not trying to abandon myself or be inauthentic, but I might kind of ignore some things instead of addressing them because I just, I can't right now. So it's kind of choosing which boundaries are most necessary for me to set right now and how much energy can I put into setting them. And then you feel that freedom I think that Christine was alluding to when, you know, setting that boundary with her dad. Sarah, I think that's an act of self-care in itself. Do I have the emotional availability right now? Do I have the resources within myself to handle this, to set this boundary? If not, save it for another day. I think that that's an act of self-care. And I think speaks to some of those like gray areas, like this is not black and white and this is evolving as we live Mm -hmm. our lives and foster our relationships with ourselves and with other people. I was going to close with that quote with Brene Brown, but I brought it in so early because we were talking about it. So I think that we should all go around and maybe say a boundary setting tool that's been helpful for us or just 
kind of take away for the week, a boundary that we've recently set in our own lives, small or large, we're all winners here. So who wants to start? I have kind of a more, it's like a less deep kind of boundary. This is kind of a simple thing. Maybe for some people it'll be harder, but the idea of just disconnecting from outside sources of communication, like my phone can be so frustrating because it makes it so that I am always available and accessible. And so physically putting my phone in a different space, I'm, I'm actually falling back into old patterns of keeping it in the bedroom. I, there was like months where I had it in a different room. Now I'm like, <laughs> how did I do that? But giving yourself permission to not be available to everyone all the time And I recognize that is not possible for everyone, that specific boundary. Like if you are, I don't know if, you know, as a parent, if that's something you feel like you can do, if you're, you know, you got if the kid has an emergency, I don't feel, I'm really grateful to finally have set the boundary with my dad to not be the emergency contact. Cause that was the one reason I was keeping my phone by me constantly. And so to know that there's other people who can take that on and I don't have to be available 24-7 has freed me in ways I cannot even describe. Thank you for sharing, Sarah. That was great. Anyone else? I think I've shared with all of you on the podcasts before I'm recently divorced and there are some complicated dynamics with communication in my relationship with my former partner. And one of the things that I'm really working on is um, when things are said to me that I feel are passive aggressive or manipulative, I am calling that out. Um, Whereas in the past, I would engage in a conversation or an argument after said comment, was made. Now I am in a place of saying, you know, I see what you're saying. It feels this certain way to me, and I'm not willing to engage in the conversation at this time. So that is um, a huge shift for me to set a boundary around unhealthy communication. Um, and it's uh, it's just a beautiful act of self-care to not engage mm-hmm. That must feel really, like, empowering, too. Yeah. Just on that note, too, I think I always feel so obligated to, like, engage or to, like, make clear what I mean or make clear what, you know, my side is. And, like, no, it's not always my responsibility to make sure my point is known or what my side is. No. I can just say, nope, this is not acceptable. I'm not engaging. We're done again, giving yourself permission to let go of that need to be heard Mm -hmm. and validated from the person you are in conversation with knowing that you deserve that and you can give it to yourself or go find the other, you know, not saying go like gossip, you know, and be like, (laughs) you know, like I'm right, I'm right. But just, you know, find the places where you can really be seen and heard. I don't have a specific situation of a boundary, but in general, as of late, trying to create boundaries, I can um, really have a lot of like knee-jerk reactions and want to respond really quickly, and that doesn't serve anyone. 
And so I've just been really trying to like take a beat, step back from it, figure out how I'm going to respond. Sometimes I just like literally will write down in my phone, like my response, talk through it because I also want to be thoughtful and not hurtful, but also get my point across. And so I feel like just taking that time, like nothing's going to happen between now and an hour, just taking the time to gather my thoughts and feel okay with my response because I don't want to feel any worse than I do when, I, when I'm when i telling somebody no or what they don't want to hear. So I just want to feel really good about it myself. I think that's a great tool to use. It's really tangible. I definitely resonate with like specifically kind of that knee-jerk reaction. So I think that's a great tool. Something that I've been working on lately is uh, my partner Keith and I are getting married next summer, specifically around the wedding planning. I've been having to set a lot of boundaries with family and be intentional with who I invite to what and what are going to be traditional things that we include. I'm just kind of being very intentional with that. And I have a lot of support from my partner and from friends and certain family members that I've told so far. So it feels good to me. Um, I have a very weird family structure as I've talked about before. So it's hard that blind family loyalty, um, pushing boundaries. It's hard to do so. I will spend the next year of my life actively practicing that. So, (laughs) Um, Well, if you need a wedding planner of any type of um, assistance, you just let me know. And secondly, I think we should do like a live pod from your wedding, like a (laughs) play-by-play. You just just invited us. Absolutely. (laughs) I absolutely did. I crossed that boundary and feel free to take, don't have a knee-jerk reaction of saying, no, you think about that. Process how you want to respond to say, um, at this time, we only have limited space, but thank you. No, there's a pieces of you podcast table. I feel that like. would be amazing. That would be hilarious. Just like live recording, be like live tweeting, just live podcasting from yeah, my wedding. Like coming in hot. <laughs> the hot mess is where the magic happens. So. <laughs> Pod squads here. The pod squad. You, you. So we'll make t-shirts. They'll say pod squad. You guys wear them to my wedding. Perfect. Done. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm in. And my headphones the whole time. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, guys. Well, thank you everyone so much for sharing today. It's so vulnerable talking about these things and talking about boundaries. Um. So thank you. I love you guys and I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for listening this week, everyone. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. Our next episode, which is part four of our four-part series on the impact of early mother loss, we'll be talking specifically about relationships. It will be available on July 20th. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at piecesofyoupodcast. Take care of yourselves and remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. When you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you, then we will work together to make the broken better. When the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon, you gotta stay open. Share your story, it will get better Though it doesn't feel like ever And you'll get stronger It's a journey we'll get through together
Here for you.